Would you take your Bibles, please, and let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to start with verse 2 and read to verse 11. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity or or love. For if these things be in you and abound, they make that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, this, uh, this is the part four I didn't plan on. We got so wound up last week, we were uh, stu- studying a, a larger project here. You have uh, a, a special review sheet with the rest of this message If you find yourself wanting to have the complete set of notes, we gave them out every week. It was, you know, uh, about three pages worth. We had some left over. They're out in the foyer. If you haven't been in on the earlier set uh, of messages, if you are interested to get the whole story, they'll be available. If we run out, we'll make more. But we're going to just give you a short version of what we've said about protecting your faith. We, we so often think about faith as something that protects you. It's the shield in, in God's armor. But any good soldier knows you've got to take care of your equipment. You know, And there's, there's things your enemy would love for you to leave behind or not take care of it so it didn't work well, it was defective. And, and I can think of several things the enemy would like, like your helmet not on, or you forgot your sword, but the shield of faith stops the fiery darts of the wicked. And you better make sure your shield is strong enough for that kind of assault. We're not just talking about a shield that'll protect you because your mother-in-law hurt your feelings, you know, or, so, or your neighbor said something nasty to you, or... He, or you, you tried to give a gospel tract to somebody and they spurned it and threw it in the trash. That's nothing compared to what this world is dishing out to try to weaken us, discourage us, and stop what we're doing. And we must not allow ourselves to be stopped. 
There's a word we read this morning just now. It's the word patience. And that isn't the kind of patience where you sit there and you tap your foot and you hum so that you maybe don't uh, blow your stack. Now, this, this word patience has to do with endurance, with pressing on, persevering, not quitting, not being stopped. And the shield is very necessary to do that. Uh, perhaps you've seen the, what the riot police have to have. Unfortunately, we see more riots than we should. But uh, the riot police will have a, a, a shield, and it's see-through, but it's very tall. covers them pretty much from head to toe. And they put them together, and they walk into a crowd, and it stops those stones and whatever else they're throwing. And if you're a student of history, the, the Roman army had a thing called the turtle. And they had these long shields, and they practiced and made a formation where they were completely surrounded by those long shields and also overhead. So when the enemy is shooting all those arrows, and they would darken the sky with all those arrows. They'd come down, but the turtle shell, bam, 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 taking that. And people poking other ways. And what they had as they marched forward in this awesome uh, uh, array of shields, they had these big long spears way out there. And they just walked into a crowd. And you know what? You better get out of the way. Because you aren't stopping them, and they're about to stop you. So shields have a lot of history. And when I say protect your faith, another way of saying shields up. Shields up and make sure your shield's in good shape. So uh, we had brought it down to four points, four basic things uh, about protecting your faith. And, and the the... the the little heading here is faith will desire God's word and experience God through scripture. Now you're going to see something from our text today that says merely knowing what the scriptures teach is not enough. Your knowledge needs to be powerful in your life. Your knowledge needs to be fruitful. Your knowledge needs to produce something in your life and it will change your life. Academic knowledge is not enough. As a matter of fact, it can be harmful. You know, Peter says it'd be better if people had never known the way of truth than after hearing it to, to depart from it. And he describes them like dogs going back to their vomit and pigs going back to the wallowing in their mire. That's, that's ugly stuff, but it's very ugly when God sees people taking some effort to know Scripture and to even maybe repeat it, maybe even boast of their knowledge of it make a career out of it, but it's never penetrated the heart. Some people will miss heaven by 18 inches. That's the distance from your brain to your heart. And they will have had it up here, but it never got down here. And so uh, this is very important what we're talking about. Um, we had these four references. The first one is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. <clears throat> Among other things, it says as newborn babes, Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. We need to develop an appetite for God's word that is like that of a newborn babe. And, and you know, newborn babes are not ceremonial about being hungry. They scream and they cry and they act like they're dying because now. And we need to find ourselves that desperately hungry for God's word. Uh, when Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, he had fasted for 40 days. Satan thought, well, if you're the son of God, just turn these stones into bread, and it's reasonable you're hungry. And, and Jesus answered 
from the book of Deuteronomy, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Okay, uh, in Romans 8, verses 8 through 18. Now, there's really a lot of diverse things said in this portion. And I'm just going to wrap it up to this. Develop a working relationship with God's indwelling spirit so that you operate with his power and perspective. You operate with his power and perspective. Romans 8 was telling us that when we weren't saved, we were carnal. We were in the flesh. When we became saved, when we received Christ, we became spiritual. Okay? Now, spiritual is describing where you're at. You're standing before God, not how well you're doing at it. We get those things mixed up. But you have changed from one realm to the other, from darkness to light, from death to life. You are gone from carnal to spiritual. Now you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And you need to develop that relationship. Like any other relationship, you need to develop it. Learn how to set up keeping with God now in charge of what's going on inside of you. And uh, there's wonderful assurances. There is direction and protection from sinful things. And there's all kinds of wonderful things. And then it ends with the, the wonderful thought that the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Yeah, and so that's why we mentioned perspective here. You can't do this in your own strength. You can't do it with your old uh, resources, your talents, your disposition. You may have a very strong personality, a very strong character in a lot of ways, but if you rely on yourself, you will fall. And here I am again with Galatians 2.20. I've already said it once this morning, but I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then there's Romans 16, 25 through 27. After Paul has delivered so much, and if you study that book, you will be exercised greatly. And if you haven't been exercised greatly, you weren't really paying attention. That book is the, the framework, the skeleton on which all of, of God's truth hangs. And we need to master what's taught in that book. But at the very end, he, he's wrapping up, and it sounds like a benediction, and that's about the time everybody's closing their Bibles and uh, uh, you know, finding their purse or you know, getting ready to leave because, oh, he's all over now. And that's where we lose out. We, we miss something. Now, forgive me, but I'm going to read this one. It's not long, and it's very important. Now, now it says in verse 25, Now to him that is of power to establish you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith to God only wise be glory through jesus christ forever amen now i i, I can't re-preach really this but what he has said in a nutshell is everything that the gospel has taught me and here's a guy who knew the law <clears throat> he knew the prophets he thought he knew them he found out he didn't know anything because he didn't know christ he was persecuting christ and his people 
And, and, and the Lord graciously confronted him on the road to Damascus. And all that was valuable to him, all that was precious to him, all his knowledge and accomplishments through the law, now he counted but dung. Garbage or refuse, if you have a more polite translation. But now having Christ changes all this. And all I want to do now is know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and and be made conformable to his death. Yeah, I'm all over the place. This is a lot of Philippians I'm quoting here. But Paul is summarizing at the end. All that I've taught you is when you approach the scriptures with Christ and the gospel in view. Develop a Christ-centered or gospel-centered approach to your study of God's word. Progress from milk to solid food. Okay, all of the Bible is a record that God gave concerning his son. All of the Bible is a book about Jesus. And wherever you're at in the Bible, make sure you head back to the cross. Make sure you head back to Christ because he is the fulfillment of all things. He is the center of all things. By him, all things consist. He's the preeminent one. And he needs to be preeminent in our knowledge so that we don't go off on tangents. Many other religions teach from the Bible. Many teach from the Old and the New Testament. And they come up with other religions, other ideas. Some even call themselves Christian. But if you, if you check around, people that believe in Islam, they read the Bible. They use parts of it. I've even heard uh, Hindus talking about Jesus. But if it doesn't truly consist of the doctrine of Christ, it's none of his. And our Bible knowledge is vain unless we are Christ-centered. And and then that last little bit about being established, he mentioned it at the beginning, actually, but but the last little bit I wrote here is progress from milk to solid food. Uh, Here you are um, as a baby in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. You're, you're, you're craving the milk. You're craving for life and growth and, and just sweet comfort. And that's great. But there comes a place when you have to proceed to solid food. Solid food is for those who work and have skills and accomplish things. They, hard-working people cannot live on a milk diet. They have to have solid food. Uh, I'm going to dare to digress here. These other references in this portion I, I haven't been reading and I don't plan to read, but this one, the very first sermon I ever preached when I first came to pastor in this state was out of Hebrews chapter 5. <clears throat> and I'm going to start with verse 8 and I'm going to go through to chapter 6, verse 3. Hebrews chapter 5. I'm going to try to just capture the moment here and not elaborate too much. But in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. You know who we're talking about, right? The Son of God. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now, morally and divinely, he was perfect, but to fulfill the qualifications as the the God-man, to be our Savior, he had to go through courses. 
He had to accomplish things. He had to go through a gauntlet of things. And by suffering, he qualified himself and perfected his qualifications to be our Savior, the captain of our salvation. Uh, Some say author of our salvation. But let's keep going. Called of God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I'm not going to explain all that. You go back in Genesis, you go back and look at Abraham paying tithes to a guy named Melchizedek. He was not like the Levitical priests. He was different. It was not a succeeding priesthood. We have no lineage of him. As far as we're concerned, he just popped up out of nowhere. And that's what Jesus is like. Nobody's going to replace Jesus and keep something going that Jesus started but couldn't finish. Jesus starts and finishes his priesthood. And anyways, uh, the writer here says, uh, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be, under, be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. Uh, it's, it's more common to hear people say the preacher's dull. But there's a far worse epidemic of listeners being dull. Their ears are full of wax or something like that. And, and he goes on to say, For when the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become as such as have need of milk and not of strong meat or solid food. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You know, this is where we find out doctrines for doing something, not just absorbing. Yes, we need our basic doctrines of Christ. We need to, to know our salvation is sure, and we need the comfort of this. And many other promises give us comfort, but there's a time when that's enough comfort. It's time to get out there and fight the battle, do the work, run the race. So... Verse 1 of chapter 6, therefore, based on what we just said, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, like Jesus did. He had to fulfill things and perfect his ministry. We have a ministry, and we need to perfect ourselves to be qualified to do it. Now, what I'm about to read to you, this this could be a shock to you, But the things that are next listed are milk. They are milk. Most people, if they hear a good, heavy doctrinal message, you say, boy, that's the meat of the word. And and I get that. I get that because we go in progressive stages of understanding in our doctrine. We're able to to take in more and more. But but here's, here's what the writer says. Let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, and of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this will we do, if God permit. But, you know, we're talking about salvation truths, doctrines about man's fallen condition and his need of the new birth, uh, of ordinations and and the ministry of the church, uh, future things, the, the second coming of Christ, and, and the eternal destiny of all people, heaven or hell. You know, that's heavy stuff. But the writer here, and, and excuse me, I'm just going to tell you, I think it's Paul. Don't, we won't fight about it, but, but the writer here is saying, that's all the milk. After we get that under a belt, we got a firm foundation, a good platform. Now let's get into the other stuff. But are you ready, he says. Are you ready? If God helps me, we will get on to greater things. 
And I submit to you that the teaching of Jesus from all the scriptures, and we are told that as we behold his glory, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of God, 2 Corinthians 3.18, that is what meat and solid food is all about. Becoming like Jesus. It's not just, you know, we're downloading like we're some big flash drive, you know, just absorbing information. Maybe spitting it back out. Becoming like Jesus. Walking with Jesus. Having an intimate living relationship with Him. And He living His life through us. That's what solid food is all about. And that's why sometimes people just get puffed up with knowledge. And Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians 8. We all have knowledge and knowledge puffs up. But charity, he says, love edifies. It's when the love with that truth, becomes a living principle operating inside of me. And people will sense, I think I've just gotten a better idea of what Jesus is like because I know this person. That's what we're supposed to have an impact on people. Okay. Now we come to 2 Peter 1, verses 2 through 11. Where we left off last time, we pick up now. We just read it a moment ago, so let me just say a few things here uh, that were stated last week, but I'm working up to some other things here. As you cooperate with God and apply yourself to the Scriptures and seek to build your faith, this is what meat eaters do, you will experience the grace of God ministering to you, confirming you, strengthening you, protecting you, And I read a lot of those verses last week, and I loved doing it. I know one I left out, and today I'm going to start with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You can see it in the next to the last line of those notes there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting with verse 16. First Thessalonians chapter 5, starting with verse 16. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And get this, faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. Yeah, you like that part? I do, I do. But, but I, I see a straight list of things I need to go after. My joy life. Am I practicing joy? Is the joy of the Lord my strength? Prayer life. Pray and don't give up. Don't quit. My thankfulness. Am I, am I wobbly? Am I sometimes thankful and sometimes not? Depends on the weather. Depends on whether the Packers won. Quench not the spirit. Okay, I, I can't explain all these, but these are things you're supposed to do and just in a flat list. And then... As if a prayer, Paul says, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. 
Now, some have taken that phrase and turned it into a doctrine of sinless perfection. And that's not what I'm trying to teach you right now. But holy means all of you, every part of you. And I wish I had the time to discuss the distinctions between your spirit, your soul, and your body. But God's concerned about every one of them. Just quickly, the spirit is the part that knows God and relates to God and communicates with God. The soul is the part of you that has emotions, feelings, makes decisions, and relates to the world around you and people that are in the world. And the body, well, you probably can figure that one out. That's the part that houses you. And what you do with it is very important to God. And so he wants to sanctify you at every level. Unless that get totally exhausting to you, the great promise, he called you to this, he also will do it. He will work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. But you need to cooperate with him. If we're just sitting on our blessed assurance doing nothing, we don't have the picture at all. He would have us take on a yoke, a double yoke, Jesus says, and come learn of me. I'm meek and lowly. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. But you're going to walk with me. We're going to be putting our feet down on the earth and doing something together. You won't be sitting over there in a lawn chair drinking iced tea watching me saying, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. No, we're going to say thank you, Lord, while we're in that yoke with him. Okay, so a special note about 2 Peter 1.5 and verse 11 also. Got to get back there. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. <clears throat> Besides this, giving all diligence, sounds like I got something to do here, add to your faith. Now, it would take a lot of work to explain the, these things, virtue, knowledge, temperance or self-control, patience or endurance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. It would take a while to go in deeply with all that. And that's not my goal this morning. If you get what I'm saying, you will dig and find and, and accomplish these things. But notice the word add. Okay, um, I think I checked enough translations to say most people have that. Add. But there is a Greek word here that means to supply lavishly. Now on our part, that's to say, uh, don't just see how little you can do and get away with it. You are supposed to supply your faith lavishly. You're to supplement it. Supply for it. And that lavishly. So in other words, you know, when somebody special is coming to dinner, out come the flowers, out come the, the good dishes and silverware, and the husband says, who's coming to dinner? Because that's not what he gets. <laughs> But we, we put on a little more for something special. We give a little more effort. We put a little, a little more pizzazz in it, a little more thoughtfulness. My wife has this wonderful a gift to remember everybody's dietary needs that she knows. And not only that, she knows what they like and don't like. Now, we have some people, that's a challenge. <laughs> but my wife's really good at remembering, yes, they'll eat this, they can't eat that. And she will make accordingly a meal that fits the people coming. And, and it's a challenge at, at a church lunch together. Uh, but she'll label a few things, gluten-free or whatever. And, 
in, in, in any ways, somehow that's being a little more lavish, don't you think? It's not just the silverware and the plates and the candles and the flowers. It's that extra care. That's the kind of attitude here. You've got something precious given to you. It's called faith. Jesus is the author of it. Jesus is the finisher of it. He gave it to you. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And now, what will I do with his gift? What will I do with this privileged position I have and this wonderful thing called faith? I should lavishly add to it and supplement it with things that belong with it. Okay? So, uh, we are add, to add to our faith those things which are listed there in the verses 5 through 7. And we get to verse 11. If you've done all that, verse 11 says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you. Now, your Bible might say supply, provide. But the fact is, it's the same word. It means to supply lavishly. You supply your faith lavishly, God's going to supply lavishly to you too. Now, we can gather from the early part of this uh, scripture reading that there's power in God's word, that he is giving to you ability and not just knowledge. These exceeding great and precious promises, by these you become partakers of the divine nature. Do you realize that you have the, the pump in your hand, you're at the gas station, and you're squirting, and you can stop squirting any time, but there is a place here where you can either enhance or limit your closeness to the Lord your availability to the Lord, your usefulness to the Lord. You know, if you're just coming to get two bucks worth to get you down the roadways, you'll be stopping again because you're running out of gas. But to supply lavishly is fill her up, click, and a few more squirts to get her up to the next dollar, right? Okay, so God now wants to do that for you. It tells us that God will minister, supply, or provide an entrance into his heavenly kingdom with welcome and reward. I'm summarizing here, but you can read all those verses there, 8 through 11, and you'll get the idea. Now, entrance into his kingdom, a lot of that's about going to heaven, I know. You're going to be warmly received. You're going to be wonderfully rewarded. But I submit to you that when you are born again, you enter his kingdom now, and you're being supplied now, You're being warmly received now. You are being supplied and rewarded as you take your baby steps that turn into bigger steps. And God's not going to forget anything you've done for his sake. He's not going to forget. And he's going to be with you in all ways. This is very important. That what God asks you to do, he's willing to do. He makes that statement. If you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And here it is being exemplified. You add lavishly to your faith, God will add lavishly to you. You want that? Go get it. God told Israel, I'm going to give you all the land of Canaan. Oh, now take your swords and fight for every inch of it, and I'll be with you, and you'll have victory. Sit in your lawn chairs and drinking iced tea, it ain't going to happen. Okay, now... That thing that says summary at the bottom, if you take gospel knowledge with its exceeding great and precious promises found in God's word, that's verses 2 through 4, 
and add to your faith those things that are listed in verses 5 through 7, you will be able to make sure of your true relationship with God and also be sure of rich reward in heaven. Okay, that's, that's a basic presentation here of this passage, how important it is. And if you do it, you're going to love it. And if you don't do it, you're going to say, what did I do? Nothing. Now, with the little time remaining, the painful task of me just taking some of the verses at the very bottom here, they all point to something. They all point to something that verifies what we've just said. Let's start with Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Might as well start at the beginning here. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 19 through 21. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. Boy, I sure messed that one up. So, wow, amazing how I, my pages must have stuck or I wasn't paying attention. I'm sure it was a great story, folks. But Chapter 6, verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, to some degree, we have to have stuff, right? And we even get to have stuff that we just like to have. We get, it, we get that, at least sometimes. But don't make that your primary objective, heaping up stuff. Because it's all going to the dump. It's all going to burn up with a fervent heat. But treasures in heaven are untouchable, uncorruptible. And there's a wealth we are taught to work for now that's going to pay off really well. And I'm, I'm sad to say I've been around churches in the past that try to offer earthly stuff as rewards for doing what God told you to do. And since when? Since when do we pay our, our, our laborers with Confederate money? You know, phony money. You know, grab the Monopoly board and pay them with that stuff. That money only works while you're playing the game. And, and the wealth of this world only works while you're in the game. This is beyond. God has real motivations. Real motivations. I, I'm going to take a minute to do the commercial. I debated when to do this. But I got a little book here by Bruce Wilkinson called A Life God Rewards. Just a little thing. But I really liked where he was going with this book because he said, you know, some people think any motivation is carnal and wicked. But Jesus used motivation. He offered rewards. He offered things to you if you'll do his will. Now, they're highly spiritual in nature. He promised you that you'll have your things that you need. But beyond that, the... the the, the, the gifts he gives have to do with, with becoming more like him, being more at peace, more of his joy. And then you're actually working towards the next level. If you do well at this level, <coughs> you're kind of uh, in job training here. He's got a kingdom coming. You get to work in that. Your, your ability to work there will be based on your faithfulness here. If you were faithful with little, 
you'll be faithful with much, so he'll give you much. And then one day, the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, I believe, again, as we've been faithful, he's going to give us more opportunities to serve him, to glorify him, to be in a position where we can be blessed and bless others. And we need to think this way. And I thought what I saw of this book was was very good, A Life God Rewards by Bruce Wilkinson. Now, I have a stack or two of them out there. If you don't think you want it, if you don't think you'll read it, don't take it. But if this has caught you, if this has gotten your attention, then you take one of those and meditate on it and see, see where it takes you. But he is enforcing the fact that God wants to reward you. you, you your salvation's free. Your salvation is not earned, but your rewards. Do we just forget that? About rewards? The Bible has a lot to say about it. Jesus had a lot to say about it. And here's the kind of life you live if you want God to reward you. Sometimes we react so much to work salvation that we just we forget the rest. And grace just means, well, at least I got to heaven. We don't have to settle for, I just got to heaven. More like Jesus. More of Jesus. More with Jesus. So, I recommend that if you'd like to, to take it. And if, uh, if you f- still remember that, as you walk out the door, you'll see them on a little table out there. Okay, I got that over with. And I've alluded to this here with Matthew 6. Let's go. And I'll tell you what, I'm not going to turn to chapter 13. Th- th- this is something I just want to explain lightly. You can study it out. But a sower went forth to sow and a seed went all over the place. There was hard-packed ground, stony ground, thorny ground, and really good tilled-up ground. The stony ground, that's where everybody walked all the time. It's all hard. The seed never penetrated. The birds came, picked it up. That's a picture of Satan taking the Word of God, and before you can really benefit from it, it's plucked out of your memory, and what was that? The stony ground, shallow roots up. A plant popped up at shallow roots, and when the sun came up, which represents persecution, this shallow person doesn't have moisture, doesn't have depth, and they say, I didn't sign up for this, and they quit. No fruit. The thorny ground represents the cares of this world. The plant springs, the seed springs a plant, I should say, and the thorns come and choke it out. It can't bear fruit. But the good ground... Some 100-fold, some 60-fold, some 30-fold. We don't all have the same amount of fruit, but if you compare that to John 15, where I'm the vine, you're the branches, you must and you will have fruit. You've been called to it. And faithful is he that called you who also will do it. But you need to make sure, like Peter said, give all diligence to make your calling and election sure. You can't call and elect yourself, but you can make sure you are by putting it, your faith to the test. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Put your faith to the test. There's evidences throughout Scripture. None of them have to do with going to a meeting and just going forward and signing a card and saying a prayer. All of them have to do with the change in your life when you believed. You never have gotten over it. There's evidence of Christ working in you. There's evidence of Him involved with you. That's the fruit And that will lead to an influence and an ability to be used in ministry to help and bless others. Okay. In John 13, Jesus was uh, teaching the disciples by washing their feet. 
And he says, if I'm your Lord and Master, and I've washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. And after he explained this, and mind you, he's about to be crucified, and, and the weight of the world of its sins is going to be laid on him. He's taking the time to do this very visual lesson. But he says a statement that's really worth applying to many other places in Scripture. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. He didn't say, if you know these things, you're going to be happy. You know them. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. That's John 13, 17. Okay, um, let me pick a couple more here at least. Whew, I wish I hadn't said a couple. <laughs> okay, I'm, uh, I'm looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Verse 6, this is the last that Paul wrote, at least what we have in the Bible. This is his parting words. I don't know if you remember last week, I sawed over the microphone with a pen to give you the idea that the executioner was sharpening his axe to take Paul's head off, and that could be heard outside the window, and, and Paul is, is saying things like this. For I am now ready to be offered... And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, from hereafter, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Yeah, I saw an awful cartoon years ago. I won't be real explicit because it was a nasty, nasty cartoon. But it showed some people doing some sinful things. And you could see in the sky that Jesus was breaking through the clouds with the come up hither. And all they could say is, oh, great, there goes the weekend. Thanks for not laughing. But it really was telling that they think Jesus is a cosmic party pooper. Yeah, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven, but um, can you clean me up at the last minute? I want to have fun first. And, and, and Jesus would say, you're not having fun. You're not having a good time. Many people don't know what they're missing. But for Paul to say that my departure's at hand, he sounds like he's going on a trip. He, so, he sounds like he's uh, graduated from high school and he's going to have his graduation trip and you know, it, it's going to be great. I'm ready to be offered. Yeah, I, I'm not thinking about being murdered. I'm being offered. I'm, I'm an offering to God. I, I have been every day of my life a living offering. I get to be the rest of the way now. And, and I can say with honesty, I, I fought a good fight. I Finished my course. I kept the faith. And here's this crown for me. And not just for me, but all those who love his appearing. 
I think right now God's letting the world make it look a lot easier to want to go be with Jesus. If you're tempted to hang on to this world, it's getting harder and harder to want that. This, this world is, is not, not as delightful as it used to seem to me. Now, I'm not going to check out prematurely on my own, but I'm going to let the Lord handle that. But we have promises like this throughout Scripture that we're going to be rewarded in ways that are beyond our imagination. There's a, a little statement here, and I'm just going to read this one to you because I have one more to have you turn to, but I'm sneaking this one in. In James 1.12, it says, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried or tested, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. The key to enduring temptation, the key to enduring uh, the, the, the work for the Lord and not letting the world stop us is to simply love Him. Love Him. Then you'll love His appearing too. And God knows where our hearts are. God knows how pleased we are to have these promises and these commandments and these duties and these privileges, these positions that we can fulfill in our life. I'm going to um, reluctantly close with Revelation 14. If you'd like to turn there, Revelation chapter 14. In verse 13, John is witnessing and experiencing so many things in this heavenly vision of things to come. And in Revelation 14, 13, he says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, from hereafter. Yea, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. You know, there's another group of people described in Revelation a little later. And... The books are going to be opened and their works are going to be examined. And guess what? It's all filthy rags. Their name is not in the land's book of life. You're not going to be saved by your works. You're going to be condemned by them. And, and as their works are examined and they're not in the land's book of life, they are cast into the lake of fire. But in our case, if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, your name is written down in the land's book of life. And now what you have for works are works that he has done through you, with you, for you. But it's just in a wonderful situation. Jesus says, I'll come and work in you to do these things, and then you're going to get rewarded, just as if it was your idea. Well, it needs to be your idea, because we need to agree with God about what he wants for our life. And if you have questions, you can ask him. If you have problems, you can bring that to him, and he'll solve them. But we need to put on our happy face in Christ and look at the Word of God as not commandments merely to keep us from doing what we want to do, but rather we're here to be liberated to a higher level of, of living, a higher expectation of life, and a higher source of life. And start enjoying it now, celebrating it now. 
And then, at the end, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I trust and pray that will be the words you hear when you stand before the Lord one day. And you might sense he's telling you that even ahead of time because God's word doesn't just correct you, it also encourages you. Sometimes we need to be assured we are on the right track, we are doing the right thing, and your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Dear Father, I've said all I can say right now. I pray you'll say more and more and keep letting this message live in our hearts, in our minds. And help us to sense, Lord, how you're with us, how you're for us. Therefore, nobody can be against us if you're for us. And help us to take joy in the privileges, the opportunities that you're giving us to represent you in a dark and dying world. I should you give faith where it's needed. In Jesus' name, amen.